There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. This week's No Restraint podcast is not going to be easy for me to do, and it's not going to be easy for you to listen to. But these are things that need to be said, and they need to be said today. I can't tell you how many times over this last few days I've looked at the mainstream media's reporting on the war in Israel, and I've been sick to my stomach. I've literally had to drop to my knees and pray because I am so furious with the fact that it's always Israel that's at fault. Doesn't matter how many of its citizens are slaughtered in the street, how many barbaric savages infiltrate their country and wreak havoc, raping and massacring on a high holy day the Jewish people yet again. When we say never again, what does that even mean anymore? Because here we go again. I'm furious at the way the world is responding to this. The audacity of President Joe Biden to talk about his unmitigated support of Israel when he has done nothing but repeatedly embarrassed himself and this country with his mitigation about Israel and this so-called two-state solution. Melanie Griffith was in Jerusalem when all of this took place. And she said at around quarter past eight in the morning, as all the observant Jews were celebrating the Sabbath and the holiday of Simchat Torah, an air raid siren started to wail, followed in short order by the boom of missiles being intercepted over the city. A lot more sirens waited for several hours, and then the sky over the city filled with traces left by the missile defense system, the Iron Dome, and they held their breath and they were kind of scared. What if the Iron Dome had failed? And what was unfolding elsewhere was infinitely worse than what she was seeing in the Capitol, a sickening disaster without parallel in Israel's history. Hundreds of Hamas gunmen had infiltrated into the south of the country brazenly using jeeps and paragliders to overwhelm the border fences and Israel's supposedly sophisticated border defenses. These Hamas forces attacked some 22 villages, towns, and kibbutzim all along the southern border, murdering civilians and soldiers while thousands of rockets were fired across the south and the center of the country. The Hamas gunmen killed more than 250 Israeli civilians in a toll that will surely rise even further and further and left more than 2,000 people injured. They murdered Israelis at bus stops, in their cars, and in their homes. The gunmen went from house to house, killing them and burning down their houses. Dozens of young Israelis were slaughtered at an all-night nature party. An undisclosed number have been held hostage for hours inside the dining hall at Kibbutz Berei. More sickeningly still, dozens of Israelis, including old people, women and small children, 
were abducted from their homes or dragged out of their cars and forced into Hamas vehicles and are now being held as hostages in the Gaza. This is unthinkable and unspeakable. So much for never again. Social media has shown videos of Hamas gunmen parading what appeared to be stolen Israeli military vehicles, including a tank, through the streets. And at least one dead Israeli soldier within Gaza was shown being dragged and trampled by a crowd screaming, Allah Akbar, God is great. The hostages mean that the Israeli Defense Forces will now have to go into Gaza with a major ground operation with all the awful consequences that follow. There are also fears that Hezbollah is now going to unleash more than the missiles they've already unleashed. They do have 150,000 missiles in Lebanon, which are targeted at the whole of Israel. This is the stuff of Israel's nightmares and will almost certainly get worse. It's wrong to call this terrorism. It's an all-out war against Israel. And all over this barbaric onslaught are the fingerprints of Hamas's genocidal paymasters, Iran. Enough. It's time to take out not just Hamas, but the head of the snake, the regime in Tehran. It is 50 years almost to the day since Israel was taken by surprise when Egypt and Syria attacked it on the holiest day of the Jewish year, Yom Kippur. That intelligence failure cost thousands of Israeli soldiers' lives and created an enduring national trauma. What happened now was far worse. This was not a war between armies or a conflict between terrorists and soldiers. This was a lethal and overwhelming onslaught aimed at Israeli civilians. Every one of these attacks was therefore a war crime. How could this possibly have happened? Clearly, there has been a massive Israeli intelligence failure. It's hard not to see a connection with the enormous anti-government protests over the past nine months, which saw Israelis trying to undermine the economy and even refusing to do army reservist duty. Such a paralyzing internal battle may have taken the official eyes off the security ball. What's undeniable is that the ferocity and length of these internal convulsions sent a signal that Israel was weakened. Many Israelis have been wondering over these past difficult months just when Israel's mortal enemies would seize this opportunity to take advantage of this weakness. And now we have the dreadful answer. And guess what? The same thing is happening in this country. They are watching all of the nonsense that goes on on a daily basis in Washington, D.C., and they're thinking to themselves, those powers that want to bring down Western civilization, the big Satan, well, guess what? We now have that answer as well. And this barbarism has been paid for by the United States and the European Union. What did they think all the money that they were channeling into Gaza for so-called humanitarian purposes would actually be used for? Well, now we have that answer. What did the Biden administration think would be the result of appeasing and groveling to and funding Iran, the paymasters of Hamas and Hezbollah? Well, now it has the answer. America, 
the EU and Britain have consistently undermined Israel's attempt to defend itself against attacks. For the past century, the West has incentivized exterminatory Palestinian Arab terror against Israel by rewarding it with the promise of statehood, which the Palestinians always made plain they wanted only as a staging post towards Israel's destruction and punishing Israel for objecting to this existential threat. For decades, the United States and the EU and the United Kingdom have forced Israel to fight Palestinian Arab aggression with one hand tied behind its back. Time and again, they have pressured Israel to pull its forces back before they've been able to wipe out the infrastructure of terrorism. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Even as the Biden administration now mouths its pious platitudes about standing with Israel in its defense against terror, the State Department has said, we urged all sides to refrain from violence and retaliatory attacks. Terror and violence solve nothing. All sides? Does the U.S. believe, therefore, that Israel and Hamas are morally equivalent? So Israel must refrain from destroying the forces which have murdered hundreds of civilians in one day, which the U.S. disapprovingly says would be a retaliatory attack? Should America have refrained from attacking the Taliban in Afghanistan after 9-11 because this was likewise a retaliatory attack? Whenever Israel has launched military operations in Gaza, which it does only when attacks from there become intolerable, Western progressives complain that its response is disproportionate. What they mean, in their disgusting way, is that not enough Israelis have been killed yet. So will this horrific toll now give them pause? Don't hold your breath. If Israel goes in hard against Gaza, which it must as a moral imperative, the usual suspects in the media and progressive classes will be screaming, disproportionate, before you can say, kafia. That's because the Palestinian agenda is the cause of causes for Western progressives. Supporting the Palestinians is the default position for all liberals. So these are the people they have been supporting, people who parade and desecrate the bodies of those they've killed people who kidnapped a teenage Israeli girl into Gaza and paraded her around the streets, people who murdered an Israeli woman, loaded her onto a van, and stripped and humiliated her, children in Gaza tormenting an Israeli child kidnapped today. A very great evil was done in Israel. It was perpetrated by the Palestinian Arabs and their Iranian backers, But the United States, the European Union, and the United Kingdom have this blood on their hands as well. And the shocking attack in southern Israel this weekend was the most deadly killing of Jews since the Holocaust. The death toll is worse than the worst day of the Yom Kippur War. It is a massacre that will transform Israel and the Middle East. 
What happened? How did the most sophisticated military power in the Middle East get brought to its knees? And what will this mean for the Jewish state moving forward? The answer to those questions will be the reckoning of our lifetimes. But there are more basic questions that so many are asking. And what follows from Alana Newhouse and Jeremy Stern in the Free Press are some answers that explain how we got here and where we might be going. Why are people calling this Israel's 9-11? Well, with almost 1,000 Israelis having been killed and more than 2,000 wounded in a series of coordinated surprise attacks that occurred inside Israel, the attacks beginning on the morning of Saturday, October 7th, that's when, according to an IDF spokesman, some 1,000 Hamas terrorists crossed the internationally recognized border between Gaza and Israel and began massacring civilians in at least 14 Israeli towns and communities, entering homes and apartments and killing men, women, and children, including nearly 300 young people who were attending a rave in the desert. I have stood on that exact spot, and I have argued with Israeli citizens who showed me all these psychiatric facilities that they have set up on the Israeli side of the Gaza Divide and how they are training their children not to be traumatized by the air raid sirens and by the attacks. Meanwhile, I'm looking through binoculars into Gaza, and I see Arab children marching up and down bombed-out buildings where I guess the bombs are being made and sometimes explode accidentally. They're marching up and down with Kalishnikovs, and the Jewish people are worried that their children won't be traumatized? How traumatized are they today, I wonder? The scenes of horror and bloodshed, including the murders of entire families, the kidnapping of small children, the rapes of young women, this was intended to cause the maximum amount of anger and shock inside Israel. More than 150 people were seized by the terrorists and taken back into Gaza, where they're being held hostage. That includes women, very young children, and the elderly. To give a sense of the scale of these attacks, when you have almost 1,000 people in a country of 9.3 million people where everyone knows someone's cousin is the equivalent of a terror attack on America in which over 25,000 people were brutally murdered and not in a single catastrophe. Imagine 25,000 Americans killed in various murder sprees across the country. Who carried out these attacks? Hamas. Hamas is the short answer, the terrorist organization that rules the Gaza Strip. Hamas does not recognize the right of Israel to exist and has waged what it calls a war of resistance since its inception. Its tactics over the years have evolved from the recruitment and deployment of suicide bombers to launching barrages of rockets and missiles. But Hamas had never before launched a military operation of this magnitude into Israel. Okay, but doesn't Israel have settlements in Gaza? And didn't they control the lives of the Palestinians who live there? Israel unilaterally withdrew from every last inch of Gaza in 2005 after dismantling the 21 Israeli settlements that had existed in the territory and handling them over to the Palestinian Authority. That's right, land for peace. Israel handed over control of certain territories in exchange for security. 
The land was handed over, but the peace never came. That was 18 years ago. Hamas has ruled the Gaza Strip continuously since 2007 after a five-day-long military conflict with the PA, which was widely hated by Gazans for its corruption. Since Israel's withdrawal, Hamas has initiated smaller-scale military conflicts with Israel in 2006, 2008, 2011, and 2018, as well as large-scale wars in 2008 to 2009, Operation Cast Lead in Hebrew, 2012, Operation Pillar of Defense, 2014, Operation Protective Edge, and 2021, Operation Guardian of the Walls. So how could armed terrorists in jeeps cross Israel's billion-dollar border fence and massacre hundreds of civilians, take hostages, and bring them back to Gaza? Isn't the Israeli army supposed to be good at this stuff? Well, that's an excellent question. First of all, the timing is important. The attacks came during the Sukkot holiday, when many young soldiers were sent home to be with their families. Other units that were usually in the so-called Gaza envelope, the part of Israel that runs along the Gaza Strip, had been moved to the West Bank in order to protect Israelis who live in Jerusalem and in West Bank communities from attacks during the holiday. But that doesn't explain how Israel, one of the most advanced nations on the planet, with some of the most sophisticated surveillance technologies, much of which they invented and developed themselves specifically for these purposes, was caught so unaware. According to sources in Israel and America who deal with national security and technology, one possible scenario involved a cyber attack that took down Israel's border fence with its layers of sensors early in the morning on Saturday, October 7th. The attack would also have affected parts of the Iron Dome system that protects Israeli civilians from frequent rocket attacks by their neighbors in the Strip. It also seems likely, as security expert Edward Lutvak explained in Tablet, that Israel's vaunted security services were deceived by operatives inside the Strip who have been secretly partnering with Israel for the past few years to pass information about rocket attacks by Hamas's rival inside Gaza, the Iranian-backed terror group Islamic Jihad. As the Israelis became reliant on people they thought to be their partners, they began to imagine that they could quietly manage Hamas by increasing trade with the Strip, letting in more goods, allowing Gazans to enter Israel for free medical treatment, and issuing work permits for Gazans to work inside Israel, where a month's income can feed a Gazan family for a year. Since last year, Israel has issued over 15,000 new work permits for Gazans to work in Israel, believing that this humanitarian gesture would be reciprocated by Hamas. They were wrong. All in all, one of the most striking and terrifying things about the attacks for Israelis and for outside observers like you and me is that once the terrorists had crossed the border, they seemed to encounter no resistance and were able to simply drive through large swaths of Israel, murdering at will. From a security standpoint, there is clearly no substitute for well-trained humans with guns. One of the lessons of this terrible day in Israel's history is likely to be that the country's confidence that technology is the key to solving its problems and protecting its citizens is entirely overblown.
you're telling me that a bunch of low-level terrorists in pickup trucks managed to do all of this on their own? No. This was an Iranian attack carried out by Hamas terrorists. Iran is the main arms supplier and political backer of Hamas, which is also supported by Turkey. As the Wall Street Journal reported yesterday, the organization and planning for the attack came directly from the Iranian regime and was finalized at a meeting last Monday in Beirut. Beirut? That's actually important. Iran backs Hamas as part of its Axis of Resistance, which is an umbrella alliance of the region's worst villains, including the butcher Bashar al-Assad in Syria, who killed more than half a million of his own people, Hezbollah, the terrorist group that now runs Lebanon, militias in Iraq, and the Houthi tribal army that has torn apart Yemen. Over the past two decades, Iran started positioning the Axis of Resistance as a way to dominate the region. It found a receptive ear in Barack Obama, who was looking to pave the road for a quick American exit from Iraq and from other regional entanglements that might lead America into another deadly and pointless Middle Eastern war. Obama believed the Iranians to be the only power strong enough to run the region without American help. We see now just how well that turned out. If Joe Biden strongly supports Israel, as he says, why did he send billions of dollars to Iran? Help square that one for me. When he was Obama's vice president, Biden was a central progenitor of the Iran deal, which he then solidified as the cornerstone of his own administration's Middle East policy. By allying the U.S. with Tehran, the Iran deal created a deadly embrace between the U.S. and a terror state run by corrupt medieval clerics who keep power through violence against their own people and by promoting terror and chaos abroad. As a self-proclaimed revolutionary regime, Iran explicitly aims to set not just Israel, but the entire region on fire. Giving the Iranians the backing of the U.S. was a recipe for chaos and a green light for terror throughout the region, which is exactly what has happened since Obama announced his deal. Funding Iranian terror to the tune of $16 billion that the Biden administration sent to Iran in recent weeks is an act of criminal negligence. As a result, it is fair to say that America has Israeli blood on its hands, too. But why attack now? I thought Israel and Saudi Arabia were moving toward peace. Exactly. What happened most recently was that an emerging Saudi-Israeli peace agreement began to take shape, which would have offered a potentially powerful counterweight to Iran's ambition to regional hegemony. Needless to say, the Iranians don't like that. Iran's thinking seems to have been that if the Hamas attack was brutal and deadly enough, the Israelis would have no choice but to strike back extra hard in Gaza, generating thousands of photographs and videos of destroyed buildings and dead bodies and crying children that will inflame the so-called Arab street, making it impossible for the Saudis to publicly ally themselves with Israel and leaving Iran in control of the region. So if there was indeed a cyber attack, who did it? 
any hack would have had to be of multiple IDF systems in order for us to see what we saw, one source said. The Gaza fence is built to be one of the most sophisticated barriers ever created, which can detect a ladder placed gently on it, and yet they were able to breach it in multiple areas before anyone had a chance to get out of bed. There aren't that many actors who could have pulled this off all on their own. The Iranians are obviously involved and would love to even take more credit than they already have, but Iranian cyber attacks on Israeli systems are constant and rarely very successful. Russia also makes sense as a villain in the context of their increasingly close partnership with Iran to further their war in Ukraine and the tensions that war has caused in the Russia-Israel relationship. Still, contributing to a large-scale massacre of Israeli civilians would be a fateful departure. There is also the fact that Russia is generally quite sensitive about funding Islamic terrorist groups after the wars it fought in Chechnya and Dagestan. Could have been China, since dismantling Israeli's defensive system with the press of a button would send a powerful message to Taiwan and other Asian nations that have been buying defensive systems from the U.S., and they do buy large amounts of Iranian oil. But what does China need this for? They have their own problems with Islamic radicalism, which they repress at home with an iron fist. And finally, there are the Americans. That's right. As last week's email dump concerning Chief U.S. Diplomat Robert Malley demonstrates, the U.S. rapprochement with Iran has involved more than trying to negotiate a nuclear deal. It has also involved finding people, many of them first or second generation Iranian Americans who could serve as go-betweens in negotiations. Were some of those go-betweens in fact taking direction from Iran? They were. But even if this happened, it wasn't U.S. policy. It was more like hostile espionage. In the end, the answer is quite simple. Hamas did it. In a perfect universe, the Israelis would be able to tend to the families of their dead and wounded while getting all their hostages back unharmed and then sign a peace treaty with Saudi Arabia that would counterbalance the Iranian axis of terror and provide the entire region with a new horizon for hope. Unfortunately, none of that will happen. In the cruel logic of the region where Israel is located and has been located for several thousand years, Hamas's killing spree was not a repulsive example of the depths of human barbarism. Instead, it was a huge win and shredded Israel's vaunted military deterrence. Millions of Arabs and other Middle Easterners stuck in poor countries run by dysfunctional, oppressive regimes can go to bed at night with a ray of hope. Israel can and will be destroyed. A regional war is hardly impossible unless Israel can reestablish its deterrence fast and prove that it is not a paper tiger. That means war. But war with whom? Sadly, America's deal with Iran dictates the answer there too. Israel can hardly strike back at Iran even if it wanted to, because Iran is now under the protection of the United States, which feeds the regime with regular shipments of cash and has promised to protect its nuclear program. This is frightening, really frightening. And you're going to see a lot of bad reporting over the next couple of days. 
but you tune in to The Joyce Kaufman Show because I will have people on the ground in Israel and we will tell you the truth. You need to know the truth because this is most likely the beginning of World War III. I'm not being hyperbolic. I'm telling you that this has to happen. And when it does, everyone is not going to be able to say, I just didn't know what was happening.